You're listening to Force-Fed Digital. BXU Heard. What's good, everybody? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich, and you're tuning into my Bronx story. Thank you guys. This is episode two, and I'm excited to share with you a little pivotal year that I had, 1993, which uh, today would mark the celebration of the 30th anniversary of my first Hot Boy Summer. Things changed for me, guys. But guys, please, if you could take a quick moment and go over to my socials and follow me there. I got TikTok. So you can find me as Kingsbridge Rich. I am your host of My Bronx Story, Kingsbridge Rich. So you can find me on TikTok. Uh, I got a, a good amount of people there and good stories. So if you want to get an idea of the kind of content that I create, kind of things that, I don't know, tickle my pickle or whatever, um, then catch me there. Uh, I also got IG. IG still cool, right? I don't even get down to Facebook. So this is you're not getting much from me. <laughs> We're going to get as far as IG, and then we're going to stop there. You good. You could laugh. If it's funny, you could laugh. Right? So, <laughs> it's that, the guys, that's not a laugh track, by the way. We got, we got a live audience here. It's only one person, but, but we got a live audience. Give it up for Tati over here. It's the producer of the show, Tati. Anyway, enough about that. We're talking about this Hot Boy Summer 1993. But, guys, follow my socials again. It'll mean a lot to me. There's a lot that I share here on this audio format. But, you know, I got some visuals that I drop for you. A lot of storytelling. I do my best to paint the picture. But if you follow me there, you can interact with me. Drop me a DM. Um, and so you find me on IG as My Bronx Story. Okay, so my Bronx story. And so, yeah, I had a hot boy summer and I just realized that it's been 30 years. 30 years since my first hot boy summer. And so we're talking about it, man. This hot boy summer was like, like no other. And so like, you know, you got your typical summers and this is now for me to paint the picture. This is the Bronx in the 90s, right? This is the Bronx, a, a, a pivotal year for me, at least, because I had just uh, finished junior high school. And so I like to share a little bit about what began as an innocent or just regular type of year and what turned it into a hot boy summer, for me at least. And so uh, in this year, and just to kind of give you the backdrop, I had bought some Jordans, all right? I went from point, like, look, it's not even a crazy vivid story. I got other ones, but just to get to the point, I had the Bugs Bunnies, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, of course I had to turn up. And so when I talk about turning up and we talk about sneakers, I know that's a little funny and I'm, you know, giving you a, a type of a type of sneaker that, that has been re-released. It's an iconic sneaker. But for me, what that sneaker meant was that I was now visible, but willfully visible. And this is where the pivot happens. And you're going to hear a little bit through the stories how the Jordans kept coming up. But so like, and this was my second pair of Jordans, but these I thought were more fresh than the first ones. And I'm not like a sneakerhead like that no more. I was into gear and all that a lot more before back in my days, you know what I mean? But uh, right about now, like I can't tell you which, which they're the Bordeaux. I had the gray and you know, whatever. That was my first pair. That's a whole other story for another, sto uh, another um, episode. But these Bugs Bunnies, man, these Bugs Bunnies. So anyway, I wanted to be seen now, right? I had spent so much time trying to be in the shadows. I was uncomfortable about my weight. I was, uh, I didn't love my appearance. You know, I was also, unfortunately, because of the trauma and the type of upbringing I had and, and the lack of care and, and the neglect that was going on, I wasn't the cleanliest of kids. So on top of not really wanting to be a sight, you know, to see, I also was unpleasant in my hygiene. And so because of that, like, you know, I was really left unchecked in that area. And so because of that, I really, it, it was better for me to be unseen. It was better for me to be in the shadows. And I played the house a lot. Um, I didn't socialize. I had my little times in like the late 80s on my old block. But now we're in a whole different area. You know what I mean? But I got the Bugs Bunnies now. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, uh, to be real, like, you know, fashion, when you think about the 90s, the early 90s or whatever, mid-90s, Fashion was real simple. Like, if you was going to kill it, you could go head to toe with, like, brands or whatever, but you could also just have a very classic regular fit jeans, some denim, right? A regular T-shirt, 
or whatever. And you just got to kill it with the hat and you got to kill it with the kicks. And that's it. And a lot of times, like, the kicks didn't even go color for color with, like, the whole outfit. You know, a lot of times, like, you know, like, you'd be mixing up colors that, you know, you could do a better job at it. But anyway, I had the Bugs Bunnies. You know what I mean? And now I want it to be seen. So, like, I revealed myself and I can say that, like, I can remember walking to school that day, right? Right before schools. And I got in a mix with things which I'm going to talk about. But I remember putting my feet up and stretching. Like, I wanted to be seen. And But in wanting to be seen, I got caught up in school. I got suspended, right? And so, and, and I'll go into one with a lot more details. But pretty much I had got suspended for some stink bombs because I was learning how to hustle uh, stink bombs. They sold those glass little sulfur pack, the yellow fluid inside glass stink bombs. There were three in the box. Right. And I got suspended for this. But like what I was doing, I was buying them for 50 cents and I was selling them for like like 50 cents a piece or whatever. So I'll make a dollar fifty off a box. And that guy must have looked at me crazy. And I remember my family used to tell me, yo, don't go in that store because it was a front. This is during the crack days. Right. But anyway, fast forward, like, you know, we still in that area and I'm still able to buy uh, stink. So anyway, I, I got a suspension under me and all to say, because I'm trying to be seen and I look cool or whatever, you know, I'm getting in the mix with things. But yo, there's this one suspension and this like, like I, all I had to do was coast through the end of the year, right? And I was, and I came up like not even knowing what I stood with school. I showed up, but like there was no engagement back at home. Like I didn't even know, I didn't even make it to that uh, yearbook because like there was no coordination at home with like school pictures for this and that. Like they gave me letters. I had, I wasn't organized. You pass it to your parent. You don't know, hey, did you give it to me? No, like it, it was very, it was very chaotic at home. So like, to be quite honest, I was surprised I was passing. I knew I was gonna pass and I was graduating because they started asking me about the senior trip money. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to the senior trip, but I messed that up too. I'm going to tell you about it. So look at what happens, right? All right, so boom, right? This, you got to start a story like a New Yorker. And I clapped the hands. You guys couldn't see that one, but all right, so boom. Miss Cruz is the Spanish teacher of junior high school 145. I am in the eighth grade, and this is 1993. I got just but two weeks before school is over, and I realized I'm not going to summer school because I'm being asked about money for the school trip to Dorney Park, right? The senior trip. So bet, all right, cool, I'm about to graduate. That means I don't have summer school. That means I could chill, I could have the summer I want to. You know what I mean? So I'm excited about that because I'm about to graduate, but I also feel like it's a coming of age. I'm about to start high school in a few months. I can't be doing, yeah, it's big boy moves now. Like now my ego, my conscious, all these things is trying to like amp me up. And so you imagine, and I got Bugs Bunny, so you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling rugged with it. But like, so I got fresh in school and I wasn't thinking this is what happened. So I got a little crew of friends in school, right? And Miss Cruz, like she wasn't the, she wasn't a teacher to be played with. She was the Spanish teacher. I, I cannot quote, I, you know, I'm not the height that I was back then, but pretty close to it. But she was known for being shorter. But this woman was fierce and she spoke to you in the hallways because she was also the dean. So being the dean and being Miss Cruz, like this woman commanded your fear. Like if like you could have been going to class and if Miss Cruz said, hey, what are you doing? You were thinking you were doing something wrong. Like when Miss Cruz spoke, that's how it was. So she wasn't one to play with, but and I, I know this is gonna make it to Miss Cruz. I have undiagnosed ADHD. I and at that, at that time. It, it was at that time, but unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Anyway, nonetheless, this is, this is, let's get to the story, right? What happened? What happened was, so yeah, like, you know, it's, it's Spanish class. I'm walking to Spanish class and, um, I see a group of my usual friends. They're sitting toward the back of the center aisle. You know how like the classroom set up, you have like two main aisles in the middle. That's, you know, side by side, whatever. So back of the class is usually where I post up in every class, right? But you know, you know, back of the class vibes. Back of the class vibes is back of the class vibes. Like, you know what type of people like to be back there. So, you know, I'm with them. So my boy Eugene, he shows me a little pen and he's like, yo, Rich, look, it was an exploding pen. So, you know, one of those little prop things, whatever. So I'm like, bet, like, yo, let me use it. I'm gonna use it on Miss Cruz. Now, attention overrode my logic because obviously you can get in trouble, but I think the thrill of like, I'm already being seen and I got Bugs Bunnies, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so I think I, I like my, my attention lean more on that side. So 
<laughs> I go to the class. I go to the, uh, I turn around. I got the pen in my possession. So the way this pen works is that when you pull it, it engages a snap, this little mechanism that goes over the cap and with the pressure, it makes the explosion, right? So I asked for a cap. In fact, I asked for three caps. I'm like, hey, let's go out with a bang. So I loaded up with extra, right? And I get this idea. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get, because when you have to go to the bathroom, you have to get your program's card signed. So... Yeah, so I'm like, all right, let me raise my hand and ask to go to the bathroom. And then I'm going to pass her the pen. She's going to open it up. I like, I thought all of that through. What I didn't think of was consequence, that this was Miss Cruz. I definitely thought, but I got Bugs Bunnies on, so I'm probably dragging it. But anyway, so I raised my hand and I, I asked to be excused to go to the bathroom. I got my program card and she's like, do a problem on the board first and then you could go to the bathroom. So I get up, I hand her, I like real slick pass her. And these dudes are in the back, little just waiting. No one else in the classroom knows what's about to happen except Eugene, except, um, and Hector, right? Those are the only two. And maybe, maybe like one other person, but pretty much most people, I wish I could find them to tell them the story or whatever. And, um, yeah, but yeah. And those dudes, I knew them from even elementary school. They were from my side of town at that. But anyway, so... So Ms. Cruz grabs my program card, right? And she's ready to grab a pen. I'm like, no, 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 here's my pen. And she gave this like gesture that was almost like, oh, that's gentlemanly of you. There was no words, but that was the look. Like it was a tilt of the head. It was a certain stare. And I'm like, it still is not kicking in. So I grab, yeah, I grab the chalk. This is dry, powdery, you know, like. Yeah, this is chalkboard, like, you know, you know, and so I go to complete the pro the problem and my eyes are completely on the board. I'm not thinking of anything, but I know what's about to happen any second now, but no one else but my two or three friends in the back know, right? Sure enough, bah! you can hear her chair slide back and I can feel the heat growing in my ears because it's at that point, I'm like, what am I doing? Everything happened so fast. I was excited and I don't know, something came over me for attention and it was a rush and it was something crazy. It was something that I guess was, was deep in the wells of, of my mind, like wishing that I can just be cool or do something cool for a moment. And I have my friends, don't get me wrong, but like this is at a stage where it's like, I'm growing. I think that things are beneath me now. I'm too cool for, so I just want to be cool. And now I got Jay, so I'm, I am cool now. Like I done crossed over, like give me my respect. Put some respect on my name. Like I got Bugs Bunnies on. Like So anyway, the chair slides back and she's patting down these caps that done burned holes in her stockings. This woman's on fire. So there's a lot of chairs that screech because all the people in the front had no idea what was going to happen. I have... I have where one cap should be. I have three caps that when it exploded, they came out like projectile and burned separate holes in her stockings. This is the dean of the school and she's tough as nails. You understand what I'm saying? You didn't think that through. And this is like two weeks or three weeks before school was about to be over. And here I go, beginning my hot boy. This is the precursor to a hot boy summer because I was not in my right mind. But look at what this woman does, right? So now she's finished patting this fire out from her legs. She looks at me and her look made me turn around and walk straight out the door to post up outside the class. I didn't really need to go to the bathroom, but with no words exchanged, she gave me a look and I walked out the class. She walked out, let the door close behind her, looked at me. And you see like on TikTok or social media, you see those slap fest that like they gauge the face, they kind of turn and boom. <laughs> She pointed at me with the hand and with that same motion that those like slap battle contests, it was a reach down because she's shorter. And I was short at the time. I'm short now. <laughs> 30 years ago, bro. You know what I mean? Miss Cruz did the, she had the perfect form for it. I felt that smack. Yes, that's what happened. She reached back. She didn't just chin check me. Follow through. Whop. Because back then you can do that. Like <laughs> we had BCW back then, but there was a code and you respected anyway. You had respect for people. It's much different now. Like now things are, are much more sensitive and anyway. And that's for a whole other conversation. But let's just keep it to this. 
I got whacked across my face. It was crazy. But there's another consequence behind that, which is my mother. Because my mother, like, you know, I was just describing a little bit of like, it was chaotic at home. To unpack that, it was very, it wasn't only like the, the neglect of, you know, the circumstances. My father was in jail for a long time. He had just came home about that time. But my father had a different kind of love. And my father had a different time of uh, way to him. And my mom, with her upbringing and, and things that she suffered through, she had hers too. But when my father got arrested, you know, we were primarily with my mom and subjected to her ways. So now you can imagine my father comes home from jail. He's not doing the things that put him back in jail. He's trying to make up for time with his kids. But, you know, he has his histories too. And so I can't tell my mother that I got suspended. Because, like, okay. Miss Cruz hit me with her hand. My mother would have hit me with things. Like, it was going to get ugly. I was shook to death. And again, like, and, you know, I, I have no problem hiding from it. I went, you know, I had these traumas that I went through with abuse and uh, physical and uh, verbal, a lot of things that I, I went through. But, you know, and, and a lot of these reasons are the reasons why um, a lot of uh, what was inside of me was exteriorizing. Like, I, I was, you know, I didn't have a place to process. I was going through traumas and, and there was no outlet. Like, I wasn't a part of any teams. I, I didn't have hobbies that I was uh, supported in or expressed. I had a brother, I had poverty, I had suffering, I had a lot of yelling, you know, so I didn't know better. And so, like, there's a lot of things I just, I couldn't think for myself. But it's, in terms of trauma, so, you know, I had a little acting out moments that year, which again, all led up to this hot boy summer where I started doing more of the same, whatever. But um, yeah, so I got suspended naturally and I lost my rights to go to this senior trip to Dorney Park, right? So it's not only like, so school's about to end, but I'm still certain like I ain't get expelled. You know what I mean? So like I'm in the fringes, <laughs> but I don't tell my mom that I got, my mom didn't know for a few years. I didn't tell my mom that I got suspended. I told my father. And my father laughed at me. And now I'm a little nervous about telling this part of the story because I know Miss Cruz is going to hear it. But what Miss Cruz does not know is what happened after we left her door. So this is this is the way my father got into that mix. I avoided, completely avoided my mom. And and at this point, I'm, I'm spending weekends with my dad. So I'm like, I got enough time to put him on and tell him, yo, this is what happened. I need your help, dad. <laughs> and he's trying to make up with time, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, his fathering is just real loving and, and yeah, let's do this. He's making up for lost time. He just did like five years. Yeah. He came out of jail unhealthy and all that, right? So, but you know, I'm his, I'm his firstborn boy. So, all right, cool. This is what we're going to do. He gives me the plan. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to act more mad than what I really am. And I'm going to tell them that I'm going to hit you and do all these things to just play along. So I go to the school. I'm quiet. And my demeanor wasn't, I wasn't that rough kid that was rugged. Yeah. I had a quiet and soft demeanor to me. So I wasn't one, like I got into troubles, but you know, much like our, you know, yeah. Ari, you know, so in my daughter, my youngest daughter, this is, this is karma guys, if you don't believe in karma, but <laughs> But nonetheless, right, I, I, no, just all jokes aside, like I had, I had it really bad growing up. And so what, what occurs is that my father tells me, this is the plan and we go to the school, right? I got the plan. We're going to go to school, meet Miss Cruz. And with my natural demeanor, I'm just, I'm chills. I'm low key. I'm letting my father take care of the thing, right? So we get into the room. He sits down. I'm there. And Miss Cruz and Miss Cruz fashion is, you know, she got this face to her that's also tough as nails. You know what I mean? She's not just only tough, her appearance, like, so she had that face on and I'm sitting down, look at her, I'm not saying a word. And she's now talking to my father about what happened. But now my father's responses to her are like, he's like, oh, I can't believe it. And he's making himself out to be a guy that's completely not my father. He's making himself out to be someone else. And he's like, threat, oh, ooh, you, you're going to see when we get home. And, and he's doing these, these threats, which I know are not really, he's, not, he's never done any of this. This is what he's going over with me, right? And so in this meeting now, Miss Cruz is feeling a little sad. And now she's kind of moving back and saying, no, no, I mean, he's a good kid, right? So she restored, in, in that exchange, she ended up restoring my, um, my right to go to the senior trip, which I almost drowned at, but I'll leave that for another conversation. But long story short, she has sympathy. And she saw me in that moment and she thought the monster my father could have been. And you know these educators. I'm sure that many educators, like I, I don't know if the perception of me 
as that kid? Was I was that dirty trouble kid? I don't know that. I only live my story through my eyes. And so her, her daughter, I had an opportunity to, to, so there's, you know, Facebook, social media, you have like classes, groups. And so the uh, junior high school 145 in the Bronx, Arturo Toscanini has a page. I had shared that story and it made its way to his, her daughter and her daughter shared it. And so that had also been shared like a few oh, years behind. So she knows it and I know that she's going to hear oh. this, but she didn't know this part about it with my father. So my father... Um, is, is doing this and she's like, you know, you can go and I got my rights back. But again, like, all right, cool. Like I'm just dealing with this on paper type suspension. School's about to finish anyway. I don't have summer school and I got Bugs Bunnies, <laughs> you know? So, but anyway, so my father walks out that room. He had his composure. He, you know, he, he, he was still presenting as he was just angry and, and she's trying to tell him chill in essence, chill out. Like, he's I, you know, I'm just gonna, and she kind of pulled some of it back to kind of, you know, take the fat off of it, you know, keep to the lean. On paper, I'm suspended still, whatever. But I got, you know, go ahead, have you, hey, he's, he's not in our hairs anymore, right? He's in the eighth grade, he's gonna go to other schools, somebody's problem, whatever. You know, not saying that's the way she was thinking about it, but hey, like, you know, that's the reality. But I walk out that hallway, into that hallway from that classroom, and my father's looking at me, and now we're out of sight. Like, we turn a corner, we go through these double doors right by a staircase. And as soon as we get in that staircase, he busts out laughing so hard. So hard that he almost tripped on the stairs. Almost tripped on the stairs from laughing. And then we go home, and, you know, I probably spent that weekend there, and then I was back to my house because we was going back and forth. But this was the beginning of a hot boy summer 30 years ago. So yeah, this was a pivotal summer for me, 1993, and that was my little exchange, and that's kind of my send-off into the summer, and that's how things went. And pivotal because, like, there's so many, the, the ways that we were raised in the Bronx and New York City, in the bricks of the buildings, uh, we had our summers that were very, like, very different than what they are now, and we had our street games. And, and so, like, I even posted a video on TikTok of slugs or Chinese handball, but I don't know if we, if it's, you know, politically correct to say it or not. But now in this pivotal year for me, I was trying to do things that were not of the times of my innocence. You understand? Like I, I, I have now, I can willfully move around and be seen and be okay with it. I did struggle with my identity as well because I was heavy set, but what made up for a lot of the insecurities that I had was, hey, these sneakers, I was like dressing good. So like, okay, cool, I can blend in. And I just started mixing in with people of that fold because I always, I, I desired those things. I thought that those things made people more cool because I didn't have it, that was my lack. So that summer was very pivotal in the sense that like, I wasn't trying to do these types of things that I was doing before during summers. Like this type of summer was different. It was like, unlike the usual summer that I would experience. And so street games that we would play, the stickball games that we would play, you know, like the kids that play on the street that just sit along the edge of the cars, front bumper to back bumper. You know, one handball could bring about 15 games in the hood. Chinese handball, AKA slugs. You had off the wall, right? A wall big enough, you know, roofies. You took somebody's ball, you just threw it over the roof or whatever, hey, it's a game. Right? Maybe you do that at the end of your stickball game. Right? We had double dutch. Right? The girls would play double dutch on the streets. We had skelsies. Right? And I, I know a lot of people, like, that's archaic. When you think about skelsies, some people know about putting the wax in the caps and, and you know, grinding the edge of it on the, on the tar of the street so that it could be smooth. You know, the, the rules of the game, at least. Or we had spray paint and chalk strike boxes on walls, building walls, whatever. Wherever we were going to throw it. You know, we had booties up, going back to the ball games. Booties up, that was torture. Like, so, shoot, booties up for me meant that if, like, there were certain kids that played on the Little League, the local Little League, and they had arms on them, and <laughs> you better learn to catch really good if those kids was playing with you, because these kids threw the ball so fast, that was the first time I heard wind come, like, you know, <laughs> our arm strength at that time is not that crazy, but these kids, is that's what you hear zipping behind the ball. So if you missed, so the way that game played was that you throw the ball against the wall, it'll come back and, you know, catch it one hand, catch it, whatever. But if it so hits your hand and drops off, you got to run to that wall. And I think if, it, if you do it three times, now you got booties up that you got to oh. be there in pose 
with your pants down because that's how we played it. No, cause cause it was exciting and you're gonna do it really quick and the ball pop stuck right inside your butt crack. Like I've seen that with my own eyes. But anyway, that's booties up. Uh we played manhunt or, or some summers that I remember that I like I'd have these summer camps. Fresh air fun for like the less privileged kids in New York City. Did that, you know, our daughters had a chance of, of experiencing that as well. But like, you know, we had summer camps. I had this uh there was this summer camp called Sacred Heart. Uh, summer camp in a high bridge. I, I, this is these. Uh, this particular year was more Kingsbridge, but uh, I also spent some time in Highbridge, and and that's why that was my zone school 145. Uh, that was the school of that area. So nonetheless, this was a different year for me because like what I would do typically with these you know summer games, and mind you, like the the way it was back then is like when you went out your house. You didn't come back until like 10 at night. Like you had, you were fueled by the summer school lunch programs. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you left, and, and I mean, I can speak for us because we were in lack, like we didn't have much, you know, so maybe a fried egg real quick and then you run out the house. But it, it wasn't guaranteed that we'll eat. We'll just want to be out the house because in the house was crazy. So like the minute the sun was coming, my brother and I were like some of the earliest kids to be outside back then. But we be outside and we have summer camps. We all these games. We all we always, you know, be the ones to start off a game or, or gather some kids, corral kids, you know, play the games that like manhunt that's off the block now. You're playing with other kids. Or go to the park until it's ten o'clock and my mom whistled. But you know, we had we always had that Donia that took the kids, corralled the kids and brought them to the local school. And we had those little triangle ices that you uh, you know, you squeeze up, the 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 chocolate milk boxes and stuff, you know, when chocolate milk hit, you know, it was lit or whatever. But nah, this was a different summer for me and I wasn't really into this, you know. The getting wet in the hydrant, um, you know, it was it was it was different for me. I was just about to experience my first hot boy summer, <laughs> but um, in in this one, graduating and not needing to do summer school and feeling like I was at a coming of age and I needed this attention, I ended up taking to some of the things that we see kids struggling with. Like you know, like I, I you know, you just th- that was a year that I explored, like cigarettes, for example. Like at least I knew that I didn't like it. And it was terrible for me, but that that was the year that I tried that. You know, I actually went out and joined the gang. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I joined the gang. The, yeah, listen, gangs, gangs in the early there was so many gangs. Like now, like when like people say gangs, like you you think like three gangs or four gangs, so those are major gangs. But in the nineties, like there was a lot of like block crews and like you had like little local gangs that were like squads crews but i had a little and it's funny the way i joined that one too it was this dude named al biz and so he lived a few blocks and i remember my boy on the block he was like yo you want to join the gang and i'm like all right cause i'm just starting to learn like who's who on the block you know what i mean so this hot boy summer i'm like now chilling with kids that are like you know getting off the block doing little things the kids that i'm deeming as like the cool kids listen to cool music or whatever right i'm still poor Mind you, but I got J's, so I could, you know what I mean? I could, I could hang out. I got the Bugs Bunny, so what's, what's good? What we doing, right? But, you know, they introduced me to this cat. And it's crazy because, like, I was getting into so much trouble. I was dealing with being numb because of being home. Like, home really drove me out into the street. And so, like, I'd go out into the street even when nobody was out there. I'll dress up in whatever I had, and I'll sit out there for hours. It, like, everything was better than being home. And that's how I felt. And it was crazy because like with my mind being curious, that mixture, you know, and also I was living under deplorable conditions, like very deplorable. Like we, we rent this in this particular case, I'm, I'm on Valentine at 198th street in a, in a dope head house. And mind you, like, you know, and, and excuse me folks for me saying it in that way, dope head. I know it could be offensive to some people, but like, this is my living conditions. I'm in an attic that's like closed off, some of it unfinished, you know, and just, we have buckets of urine because every so often the bathroom on the second floor, which was the one for us to all use, was just out of service. It wasn't working. And because of the type of people that was downstairs, I would rather stay dirty than use the bathroom. So, you know, and then it was gloomy and and I'm talking about, you could see these people walking out with no shirt, looking very old, track marks on them, moving slow. It was just, it was uncomfortable. So like everything I did outdoors was an escape. 
And, you know, mix that with my insecurities and wanting to be seen, you know, I took off. And so I meet this dude and through the door, look, this was, this was not my initiation per se, cause I'll say that after, but in this case, I'm at a door on the Grand Concourse. My boy escorted me there. He was my cosign. Knocks on the door, talks to the dude. I move back and I'm just kind of like, I can't whistle. So I'm like whistling my head, kind of whatever. I'm humming, ah, chilling. Very numb and casual, right? But he opens the door and then he looks at me uh, and he's talking to me through like a little crack. Like, I guess to give off the impression, like I can't see him like that, whatever. Whatever, hey, hey, I'm joining the gang, but it's all right. I got Bugs Bunnies on, right? So I'm cool, I'm cool as hell. So, so yeah, say whatever he needs you to say. This is what he asked me. He's like, yo, I gotta, I gotta kill somebody. Just like that. He goes, yo, I gotta, I gotta kill somebody. You wanna kill somebody for us? And without, you know, without, without any pause, I just was like, all right, cool. And I try to say it in a way that like, I didn't raise a brow for it. I just agreed like, okay. Just like that. I didn't have any tone to me and I can remember it vividly. I remember being there, pulling up, what side of the hallway that door is on and, and, and to which angle I was leaning to talk to him. I can remember all that vividly, but yet, I made it seem so nonchalant and not to seem cool, not to anything, just because it just came off as that, just casual, like, okay. I didn't put much thought into whether that was true or not, but then he came out and gave me a pound and said, I cool you down. <laughs> this is 14 year old us, you know, getting into, uh, you know, joining gangs and starting gangs in the hood. But I did get mixed up with them, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it's little block stuff, the girls would laugh at us. Oh, we were called KFH. Kids from hell, right? KFH, kids from hell, or clan from hell. And the girls, the girl, you know, girls, yo, black girls give it up because black girls are thugs. Yo, the girls on the block used to be like, oh, y'all just the Kentucky Fire Herbs. Like, that's what they used to tell us. All the girls wasn't with it. Like, they wasn't respecting our gangster. Like, like not one bit. <laughs> right? Kentucky Fire Herbs? Nah. Yo, I still got, I still got love with my KFH people. Like, yo, that. We still ring bells in that hood. What you talking about? Shut up. Nah, we do. I still be online. I'll be seeing them. That was good. Like, you know, KFH, how you? How I met you? Like, you know, people be doing that little survey thing. Like, oh, how, where you met me? Like, KFH at the party, baby. What's up, 93? Holla at your boy. Trying to get some Ursula, Ursula girls on, on Bedford Park. Um, but nah, yo, I joined the gang and I was, and I got initiated in that gang too and all that, man. Part of my hot boy summer, yo, we had meetings and all like, yo, you had to do it official because look, the gangs, the way it was, like there was a lot of gangs then. And like, it, it, this is before the, like the West Coast had blood and crib. We did have instances of bloods over here in New York City at that time, but you had gangs like the Decepticons, you had gangs like La Familia, you had gangs like Unity, you had gangs like um, Latin Kings, you had Nieta, you had Zulu Nation, which Zulu Nation is really tied into and a part of hip hop, but Zulu Nation moved like a gang back then. And I did a TikTok video on that, guys, check it out. Follow me on TikTok, um, Kingsbridge Rich and other socials, whatever. Catch the beginning of the episode again for the plug. But nonetheless, um, yeah, you know, like they move like a gang. And so, you know, if, if you had the template of what a gang looked like, pretty much in the 90s, everybody was flagging with beads. So it was just a bunch of people putting different, all right, what colors are we going to use? Zulu Nation had like different color combinations because they had different chapters from different areas that did different things. Like there was a party chapter. Anyway, all to say in the realm of gangs in the 90s, like you identified yourself in that way and there was a certain structure to it. And they had meetings and there was rules, initiations. And so I thought I was in the gang officially, which I was in the gang when I said I was out with bodying somebody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what else is there to prove? Like, your homie just asked me. I say, yeah, all right, I'm in there. And I got bugs, so I'm, you know, I got swag. So how you not going to let me? So we had a meeting and we pull up to, to Pigeon Park by, by Mashula Parkway. And the squad, so now I'm meeting others, like, you know, every time we had a meeting, there'll be more people in it. So it's cool, because you know the people from the last time you saw them, but then now they came with more people or whatever. But what I didn't know at the beginning was, like, most of the time, those other people was going to be ready to fight the other new people, because it's initiation. So I'm like a new cat in it, and I'm like, all right, cool, the last week, I met all these dudes, oh, there's more people. Nah, that's the dude I had to fight, <laughs> and that he had to fight me to get in, because we was both the new cats. So this dude, so like, and they called it out. I remember that, like, we're in Pigeon Park in the daytime, and it's like 30 of us, and we sitting on swings, and, you know, we kind of got like a circle trying to do it the way the Nietas and them do it, the Kings do it. 
But, you know, we're trying to be official, all these 14-year-olds or whatever, right? My hot boy's some ass, right? And I got my little brother in the mix and all that. He's 12, and I got him out there with us, whatever, like an idiot. But nonetheless, I'm out there, uh, and, and, and the leader, my dude, Al Biz, he comes and he's like, yo, you, yo, you, come over here. And pretty much give each other five, like five minutes or whatever. Not five whole minutes, because that thing was probably over in two and felt like ten. But I remember, and it's funny, and I'm not even trying to like brag it up, but like I was doing my thing. And I don't want to like, because no disrespect, and whatever. I was doing my thing and I had the upper hand. I didn't even get touched, all to say that. But as I'm winning, my brother jumped in and started hitting the dude. And started hitting the dude, like, and, and everybody was putting the battery, yeah, what you doing, whatever. But and the, and the police even rolled up and all that. My brother had a, um, <laughs> he had a Rambo knife that my mom had in the house that had a compass and fishing. It had a fishing hook inside and string. But he had it, he, <laughs> he had it inside the, the buckle of his belt. So, like, you couldn't even toss it because it was all clipped in. It was crazy. And he had it under his little Columbia jacket, whatever. And we blocks away because we from Kingsbridge and we out on Mashula Parkway at a meeting. Trooping, no bicycle, none, none, no transportation. We walked with the dudes from outside of town that was down with gang. But anyway, like, so these are kind of like the mixes that I was getting into. But like, and yeah, it's my hot boy. But look, it's crazy because that's on the Bronx where I live under my mom. Where, yeah, I could play to the whole idea that my mom was this in deplorable conditions. But when I wasn't there over that summer, I was in the Heights. Yeah, because my father, so now this is my Dominican side, right? So... On this side of town, right, my father, cause my father just had come home and so he played my aunt close. So my aunt was on Audubon on 187th. And, um, and so we was out there and stuff a lot of weekends, spending time with my father playing catch up, meeting family. My father was real family oriented. So he went out his way, he took us. So every weekend it was like an excursion. We was going somewhere, we was going to the beach. He'll make sandwiches for us. <clears throat> and his background, he got locked up for selling drugs. And, you know, he sold a lot of drugs. He made a lot of money. He, he was known, you know, he was real flashy and stuff. But when he came out, he left all of that away. He left all of that, you know, he was, he was done with that game. But he still has little schemes up and down. So, like, you know, I was, I was, I was a, not a part of those things, but I got to witness the loving father that I had that was, you know, very caring and endearing. And so it's crazy because, like, in one case, my mom is not doing criminal things like going out there and selling drugs or stealing things. But home is chaotic. Home is crazy. Home, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's just unrest. It's aggression. It's intensity, you know. And then there's drug use and stuff and drug abuse and verbal abuse and all those things that will happen in the house. But there was no criminality in the sense that my mother was like bucking at people, anything crazy. But now on the flip side, my father was still doing things here and there. And, um, but that was where my peace was at. Like there was structure there. Like, you know, you, you ate your meals on time. It was hearty food, you know, Sancocho, Rabo, my father used to throw down. And my mom cooked, but there was also nights that like, we just dugged it. And, and just, you know, and then our food sources and the way we kept it and the, the like, you can have food, but how you keep this food and when it gets bad, moldy, roaches in the cereal boxes, and you're not finding out that you had roaches all up in your cereal until the end and you kind of figure like, damn, I must have had consumed like something or whatever. So it was crazy, but I juggled between back and forth and I was in the water. And plus I had Bugs Bunnies and there was girls in Washington Heights and you know what I mean? So, but I was, I was going over and my cousin, I mean my cousin, like it was crazy because when I was over there in, in his house, I used to like, I looked up to him cause like he had cool things too. And he was always into like gadgets and stuff, but like they were all schemy too. Like, they, you know, they had their little things, like everybody did something, you know what I mean? And there's little family stories of, of you know, my, I, I had the scammers on that side of time. Like, you know, they, none of them was like, <laughs> none of them was like abusing drugs or anything like that. And not every one of them was involved with some crime, but like the higher profile crimes and stuff that happened was my father. But that was where the peace was at. Everything was clean. You had the chineras and you know, everything was kept well. And they sold clothing and they made their curtains and they, you know, they did people's hair. They had salons in the, in the bathroom and, and the bedroom. Like, you know, they made money off of that. Everybody, they had a, a good operation going. So I like being on that side of town and stuff. But like my cousin used to bug out. He used to go to the, my, my cousin used to go to the, you know, the video rental places? Yeah. He used to go to those rental places and take the games apart, the Nintendo games, right? So he'll take the case off the top, right? And he'll take the inside that, you know, all the stuff that's programmed inside the cartridge and he'll remove them and switch them out. 
So, you know, so my hot boy summer wasn't only in the Bronx. Now I'm in Washington Heights and I'm like, oh, like he put me on. Like, so this was, he was doing, yeah. And then he bought, and then he went out and bought a BB gun. And you know, like the Heights, there's a lot of hustlers. And so you have all these famous, but my cousin went out and he bought this big BB gun that had a scope on the top. It was a, it was a rifle. Right. And, and it, you had to like pump it for pressure or whatever. And, and we were just shooting up cars like moving like people just yeah so like again a lot happened and it wasn't so like that's peaceful but like look at the kind of things i'm doing over there in the peaceful area whatever but like you know i got to see those things and partake and be with my cousin my father for example too like you know like i said my father had little tricks up his sleeve like because he had just came out of jail he had to make money certain ways and he worked in the factory but even then i used to like my family that was real big on being in the open doing what they did so I witnessed a lot of things and I wasn't ever like, like, you know, the smoking, all those things were very in front of me. Like I, I saw the sniffing and, and those things weren't hidden too much. I heard the conversations of family, almost like I didn't exist, which might play to why I felt so invisible for so long as well. Unless I was in trouble. When you called my name, uh-oh, what happened wrong? That, that's pretty much the vibe and how things was. But like my father would go and steal copper from the company, from the factory. Yeah, and then he'll sell that on the street. So I got to witness this. And I mean, and when you think about it, like it's not a good mix because when you really boil it down, my father and I circumvented the consequences of my actions, my father in my face doing what he's doing. That might not have been the best thing for me to witness that. And that may have contributed to the continuance of my high boy summer. But on the flip side, I got my first kiss that year too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, behind PS, uh, PS7 in the Bronx. Yeah, it had to be the Bugs Bunnies though. I don't think, <laughs> like, you know, if it was anything, I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna post a picture on the IG. Follow me guys on IG, My Bronx Story. Um, but yeah, so it was a hot boy summer, man. And so much had happened. I remember um, just kind of going back and forth between the Bronx, um, joining that gang. We did get into trouble. I had got arrested and I was really uncertain. I was uncertain of things. Because, like, I thought I was going to go to Spotford. They gave me this little... The arrest, it was stupid, too. I shouldn't have been arrested, but I shouldn't have been out there. Like, we was with the gang, like KFH. And we were trooping, which I know people call it mobbing now. But we were trooping by, like, Clinton High School, that area on Cedric Avenue, by the end of Cedric Avenue. Now, there's a horseshoe block, and I'm going to tell you why exactly. I know why it's a horseshoe block. So... I'm on the block where C-Town is on the end of Cedric, guys. I'm going to post that picture up to follow me on IG. But, yo, so I'm with the squad. It's like 15, it's like 20 of us, right? And we in, the, so the squad decides to go into C-Town. I didn't go in C-Town. They ended up going to C-Town. But they're running amok in there. They're like grabbing like broomsticks and milk. And they're just menacing pretty much. And they come out. But when they come out, I see this dude pull out. And I just saw the shining of his of his gun, oh. right? On the outside of the sea town, right in front, right? And he had a pizza box in his hand. So he dropped the he dropped the box, aimed that at us. So what we do, I started peeling off. So I'm running. My boys are behind me. I'm running straight. It's dark as hell. I'm like, let me jump back here. Let me make a left real quick, right in the cut behind these buildings. So I go behind these buildings and I'm running and I'm running until I realize I ran right back into the same spot. <laughs> that I started running. Because that block apparently is called the Horseshoe Block. And now here I am arrested, right, with 14 other people, including my little brother. My mom, I might have had the bunnies on. I might have had the bunnies on. I was, because like, I had no alternative. You know how like you have to switch up, you got these as your mains, but then you switch it up because you want to show, because that's really being fresh. If you ain't got no switch up, but I had no switch up, I probably had the bunnies on. Right, but I got in big trouble. My mom came to the precinct to get us, and then we had um, and we had curfew for that summer too. So my hot boy summer was almost coming to a close because like it, it was getting too hot. Like I got ahead of myself, you know. But like in the midst of me changing my mindset, feeling like I'm at a coming out of age, being arrested for the first time, having to deal with processing my um, you know, just this reputation that I now have as a kid. You know, when you get into trouble, you know when our families, like, news spreads fast. People get on the phone, now your grandfather knows. I have a huge family on both sides. Everybody knows. Richie got arrested with his little brother. Because if you do anything with the sibling and you're with the younger one, that's on you. Like, you're, you know what I mean? So, you know, I had to deal with that. 
And so it was really embarrassing. And so like, I'm here dealing with the consequences of wanting to be seen and realizing it for the first time. And I had just escaped narrowly the consequences right before school. Like that should have been the wake up call. Maybe if I felt the consequence there of my actions, I probably would have slowed down. It would have been enough to chill, which is kind of why like, you know, punishment is, is intended to do something for us. Like when we, like us, especially as parents, when you're, when, when you think to, you, you're not punishing your kid, you shouldn't be punishing your kids as a revenge. It's for a lesson. That's what punishment is for. So you can reflect and think about what happened. I probably didn't have much time to think about it because I was thinking about how I got away with it. And I was witnessing my cousin and my family doing things too. And I was okay to do things whenever I was under my mom because there was really no like oversight. You understand? And I was out on the streets all the time. So I got caught up in a lot of things, good and bad. You know, the cigarettes, I tried weed for the first time, which of both of those things, I did. and I was the guy that wrote the, the joints and I, and I did a horrible job, whatever. And we didn't have like, you know, you couldn't go online to find out how to do things, whatever. But um, yeah, that was like my hot boy summer and stuff. And it unfortunately came to a close because school was starting. You know, you start getting the little chilly weather and it's cool. You get that breeze, it starts reminding you that school's about to start. Now, you're, now your focus is changing. You can't be in the fire hydrant with the Goya can lifting the water up in arches anymore because now it's getting a little chilly. Now the summer programs are kind of coming to a close. Everybody's back home from camp. Everybody's hitting 170. Everybody's hitting Fordham Road, 3rd Ave. All the famous shopping spots, you know, whatever those places are in the other boroughs. I could speak on the Bronx, though, right? And you're going and you're doing your school shopping. So we now are kind of coming to the close of staying in my father's house. Because remember, I kind of evaded my trouble that I had back in the Bronx. And now I'm in the Heights and I'm just chilling. And this is amongst family. But now my mom is about to pick me back up because school's about to start. This is the day before school. And my father's like, all right, I got back to school. You know, you have to get fresh for back to school. And again, we were poor. And my father, you know, he wasn't the same guy he was he was before. He, he didn't have bread like that, you know? So it, it was just, it was but so much we was going to do. So we had to stretch the money. But nonetheless, my father was prepare, prepared. So that weekend, I was with my brother. We was in the room. My father was renting a room um, in Washington Heights in St. Nicholas. And we're in the apartment and we're play fighting. We're having a good time just as we always did every weekend. And my father tells us, you know, I'm going to go by the door so I can hear when your mom knocks on the door. So we're like, okay, we're out of breath anyway. We've been playing. My father would play a little rough with us. So you'd be like real winded after like tussling with him or whatever. You know, he was big and stuff, but he always was about having a good time. But now he goes to the kitchen. There's a small table he sits on, serves himself a drink of orange juice, puts it in front of him. We're in the room. We're chilling for some time. Not a little bit of time, but not too long. Door knocks. I hear the door. I go to answer the door and it's the super of the building. And he's asking me about my father's whereabouts. I know that he's just feet away from me. So I kind of gestured in the direction of where my father was. So the guy could see where my father was at. And I continue back to the room. I get back to the room to sit down. And moments later, the guy, the super comes to the room to knock. He knocks on the door, I open it. And he tells me that he didn't want to be rude, but you know, if I can wake my father up, so I'm thinking to myself, sleeping, like he's renting a room. So this is where he's sleeping. There's no other space for him to be sleeping. So I go and sure enough, his eyes are closed and he's sitting upright on the chair in the kitchen with the cup of juice in front of him untouched. He didn't get to drink it yet. So because this guy was being polite and he was a little worried about waking my father, but he got age on him. He's a little sick. He came out of jail with certain problems. I go and I kind of nudge my father, right? And I'm nudging and I'm telling him, dad, wake up, wake up. Wake up, Dad. I'm sh now I'm shaking him, right? So I'm shaking him, and then at some point, I lift my hands to his eyes, and when I open them, his pupils were just beady. And the whites of his eyes, it was like so much of it. And his skin was still warm. And it was a surprise that he wasn't breathing. And in my panic, 14 years old, the day before high school, I run to my cool cousin's house, right? Because he was also big as well. I get him. I tell him what's going on. He runs with me back. I catch my brother and my father trying to give him CPR as a 12-year-old kid, you know, just attempting because like, hey, let me take a shot. So now my father's on the floor. It's been a minute. I just ran from St. Nick to Audubon. You know what I mean? It's a block, but still, I'm, I'm this fat kid. And I know the Bugs Bunnies wasn't making me any faster. 
But nonetheless, I get back into the apartment and this is what I see. My brother's with my father on the floor. We call the paramedics. The super called. And in that case, I don't see the super at this point, but that's how it unfolded. And the medics are there. And all I can do is I opened the Bible that was just in some random space. I had no belief system or no structure in religion or spirituality, but I knew enough to know that there could be power. And I opened the Bible and I was just reading random things back and my father still died. And we take a trip to, to the hospital, right? And that's where I know officially from my cousin because they made it there first. He said, yo, you know, right? I'm like, yeah. And I kind of was like, you know, like when somebody tells you the time and you kind of heard it, but didn't hear it. That was what was happening. Like I was, I was so numb. I had did so much that summer. I had experienced so much, it was so different. And as much as I thought I was grown and I was doing grown things, nothing would have prepared me for how much I had to grow from that point forward. Because my father had died the day before I started my first day of high school. He died with the money from my back to school shopping in his pockets. In the hospital, the, the whoever, the staff, the doctors had to pass me this large Ziploc bag with the handle on it, see-through but blue, with my father's jeans in it, with the money for the school shopping still inside. And the very next day I was starting high school and I had a court case coming up. And I was lucky enough to survive or almost drowning in Dorney Park where they had to rescue me, but that's for a whole other story. And the first thing that I think to myself when I'm certain that my father's dead is why couldn't it be my mom? Because I had no other place to go now where at least I can get a touch of peace for a little while to sustain me when I was going back to, in, in between the times I was going back to chaos. Now, oh, it's gonna just be chaos is on. And that's why I'm coming back to. That parent, the deplorable conditions, and like, it's not gonna stop now. My family spread out, right? My, that side of the family, I didn't even get to see them after that because my mom wasn't the type to be involved with family or whatever. And it was big. This is, again, this is the day before I start high school. And this is relief from an abusive and abrasive household. And what I get? Therapy from the school, which is important, but quite honestly, it wasn't enough. School counselors at times are kind of like the public defenders of therapy. And I had my challenges with that because the conditions that I was living in, the things I didn't speak about that was going to my house, through my house, going on in my house, all being the reasons why I thought to myself that I wished that it was my mom instead. The drugs that was going on, the promiscuity that was going on. I had triple beam scales in my house. My mom was dating drug dealers. There was stuff coming in and out the house. We didn't have cell phones. She'd be out at after hour parties. The daylight would come and we'd look in the room to check and still no parent. Matter of fact, at one point even, my mom ordered my brother and I to kill a dude that was under her bed. But that's another one of my Bronx stories.